Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today uh, is a special occasion for us. We'll be recording the 50th episode of CISO's Insiders. And as a tribute, uh, you know, I had an offline conversation with Hanan, who was the first uh, interview here on, on my podcast, and we decided together that it would just, you know, it would be great to have another uh, take uh, of having another conversation with Hanan. Uh, Before I let you step in and introduce yourself, uh, when we spoke last, you held a a high-level position in the information security field uh, with a certain company. You you can talk about that in a minute. And just giving our listeners just a brief background about you. You grew from the IT organization into uh, various security related roles. Uh, Right now, I believe you hold uh, the position of Chief Information Security Officer over at Micron Technology. I also know that you're on a board of advisor of a few companies, as well as a chairman of a security work group that's focused around the semiconductor industry. Uh, if you want to step in, introduce yourself, that would be great. Sure. Thank you for having me again. Um, I still remember the first podcast that we did. It was fun back then and sure it will be this time around. Um, as it sort of alluded, yeah, I'm, I, after awesome three and a half years that I spent in uh, Marvell, um, I had this opportunity to fulfill a dream of mine. Uh, to work in a manufacturing semiconductor, um, and I moved from uh, Marvell into Micron. Um, I've been at Micron for about 15 months, um, doing really amazing work, uh, protecting one of the most important industries we have in semiconductor around memory and storage. Um, very interesting transition, very interesting new challenges and new opportunities. Um, I think we're where we are right now in the semiconductor and where we are as a nation, it's really interesting to see some of the changes around memory and understanding the risks that uh, memory poses and, and how important it is to secure uh, what Micron is uh, producing right now. Um, very, very excited about this opportunity. Okay, thank you for that. And did you want to uh, mention the, these other organizations that you are a, a member of or, you know, lead? Uh, I think these are uh, industry-based organizations. Um, it's, it's an interesting situation where um, we're all customers and vendors of each other and working together and sharing information in a, in a very closed room environment. Um, we're seeing a lot of benefit to that. Um, I've also started working um, you know, with uh, NextGen that was built by CISOs and is being managed by CISOs. Um, and we can talk about that, I think, uh, a little bit more in, uh, in the discussion, but 
Uh, we're all facing a talent shortage right now. And we decided that we need to go back and we need to see what can we do more um, to reduce that shortage and start producing more talent into the cybersecurity um, environment. And also at the same time, how can we actually um, return a favor um, and help um, more underprivileged people to get more cybersecurity uh, experience and we help them get trained and we also help them uh, to find the positions later. Okay, thank you for that. And yeah, we'll definitely touch uh, on that again during our discussion today. Um, you know, and I, I do remember like, uh, so let me rephrase. Uh, typically I start off with a couple of icebreaker questions here. I do remember the answers last time around. So this would be, uh, you know, um, uh, an opportunity for you and for our listeners to see how, how persistent you are. But if you could share uh, anything about your marital status uh, and favorite drink, that would be great. Sure. Still married, still the three kids. Um, first one is going to college, so we're very excited. And the last one is starting uh, first grade. So we're, we're getting to enjoy uh, the variety of, uh, of education. Um, my favorite drink is, is still scotch, single malts, PP as they come is better. So yeah, that hasn't changed. Got it. So, so for me, it did, well, I mean, it didn't change in the sense I'm, I'm still, you know, a single uh, malt fan and this is my go-to and this is my favorite drink, but I, I learned to appreciate bourbons from the last time we spoke. And I, you know, I keep experimenting with them and, you know, it's pretty, it's so much cheaper, especially here in the U.S., right? It <laughs> is. Single, yeah. Um, I haven't found mine yet. I don't, I still don't have the taste for that. I'm still learning. So I'll, I'll send you a couple of names offline. But uh, okay. anyway, so so today's, uh, as I mentioned, this, this is a special episode. I'm going to, we're, we're going to try to touch on different topics than we usually do. Um, let's get started. So since we last spoke, what have been the major changes for you personally and professionally or anything like that you see new in the market? Um, I, I think we understood a few things. I understood a few things, especially working in Micron. We see that more. And I think that's something that has been building in me for, for a while. Um, it always felt that we are standing and waiting for the vendors you know, our partners to come out with new concepts, with new tools, with new applications. And what I've started to feel in the last few years is that it's just not enough. Um, we need to provide more guidance. We need to work closer with our partners. We need to make sure that they better understand what's important to us. The semiconductor industry is very complicated. Our environments are very complicated. Our requirements are very complicated. Um, and I'm sure if I would have been working in a software company or a pharmaceutical or a bank, I would say exactly the same thing. And we're now at the point where we see it more of a partnership. So we're working really close to our uh, vendors and, and we're trying to make sure that they understand why we're asking for a specific feature and why we're working with them to change some of the concepts that they have um, around how we secure things. And I think some of the best examples is looking at vendor risk management and some of the work that we've been doing there, as well as um, endpoint security, um, but even DLP and looking at where the DLP market is now uh, versus where we think it should be 
um, especially because of the size of uh, the data that we hold in, in the SEMA environment. Um, I think we're gonna continue doing that. We're also doing that and, and I don't wanna leave the startup environments out. Um, we are working with a lot of startups. Um, I'm getting approached by many more that I can't help. I, I try to do my best, but we feel it's really important for us to provide that guidance um, to others um, so they are more aligned to the market versus what they think the market actually requires. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Uh, and then you, and just let me ask you a, uh, you know, quick follow-up question on that. So you feel that the need to work more closely with, uh, you know, the potential vendors out there, is that because of the specific industry that you're in? Like, you, because you basically are talking about being a design partner of some sort with a lot of the vendors, right? Is that specifically because of that industry of the, of the semiconductors? I don't think it's just because. I think the, the semiconductor requirements um, enhance the need to be uh, more collaborative with uh, with our partners. But I think the same situation would be true if I was in a bank or a software development company or or service provider or, or a city. It doesn't really change the fact. We need to make sure that our partners understand the requirements. It's, it's not always um, as easy to understand the challenges and the risks that we have as, as an industry. Um, semiconductor is very complicated. The size of our networks and the number of cores that we work on and um, the data that we keep makes it a little bit different from other industries. But I'm sure, as I said, uh, a CISO in a bank or a, or a CISO in an insurance company have their own challenges to deal with. I think it's important that we train our partners to understand those challenges to help them be more focused on, on the solutions that we actually need. Got it. Thank you. Um, and, you know, you've been working with large organizations for the better part of, well, I don't want to divulge specifically the information and name how many years that has been, but uh, let's just say for a substantial amount of time. So you've been working with, with large companies. Uh, and, you know, in my other discussions with a lot of both customers and CISOs, there's always a tension between, you know, like how to prioritize challenges and what to do first and how to, like how to, you know, provide a focus to your team and to the organization of what to deal with first and how to deal with it. Do you have any specific way or a specific method in which you go about in prioritizing your compliance, security and cyber security challenges? Um, what we're trying to do is simple risk-based um, prioritization. You work with your business. You understand the business. I think that's one of the benefits of the new IT organization and obviously the security organizations. We understand or we should understand the business. Security needs to be very close in, in my view to what the business is doing and, and understanding the challenges that the business is going through. Um, it just helps us understand what is the potential risk and what are the five, 10, 20 things that we need to, uh, to prioritize and protect them. Um, if we spend too much time trying to boil the ocean and protect everything at the same time, usually we'll achieve nothing. What we need to do is to focus on, on the, the, the 5%, 20% that are really important 
that are really classified that can really take down the company to its knees and protect that. How to do that? Through a lot of collaboration, a lot of discussion, uh, building the trust across the company with your leaders, with your customers, with your peers, with your team is important uh, to get uh, to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I remember from some of our previous offline conversations that for some of the in some of the organizations that you've been a part of, you pretty much, uh, you know, you built you built up this uh, security organization within some specific organizations. What can you tell me about team building, like uh, in, in your opinion and in your experience? Uh, do you have like a few tips in order to, you know, that you can share with our listeners? Because obviously this is a challenge for any industry, especially if you're, you know, entering a new company it's and it's greenfield. And I'm not saying that was the case in your case. I'm just, you know, generalizing here. But if it's greenfield and you need to build a, an organization bottoms up or top down, you, obviously you need to have experience, but at the end of the day, you can't really operate without your team. What's your take on that? Absolutely. Um, I was very fortunate in, in the companies I worked with, always had really strong teams, um, but it took some time to create that organizational culture. How do you build that, that team feeling? What is a team? Um, and how do we combine efforts to be successful together. Um, and I, I might start with um, one of our uh, leaders in Micron came to uh, one of my town halls and talked about his job and what he sees his job in Micron. And this is um, a senior leader in Micron that manages thousands of employees and uh, manages huge part of our revenue. And in his view, his role is very simple, support his team. That's what he does. So what I've been always trying to do is hire the strongest team members that I can find, make sure that we create that um, culture, that family feeling if I can, and sometimes I'm lucky and it actually happens, and we work together uh, to achieve the same thing. There's, We cannot have intrigues between the team members. We it, It's always there. Um, but when you hire the right talent, when you hire the right people in the right maturity, it doesn't have to be the most shiny candidate. It has to be uh, the, the candidate that has the most potential. Um, one of the things that I'm seeing more is hiring internally, moving people from one side of the business, from being someone in engineering to moving them to IT because they understand the business much better than we do in IT or security. And once you have that combination, when you have, once you have the right uh, talent pool internally in the team and they create their own team leaders and they create their own leadership teams, you can expand. The guidance that I always give to my team, and that's something that I learned from one of my previous CIOs, is we need to be able to take on a hundred times the number of projects that we're doing right now with the same number of people. How do we do that? How can we create that flexibility? How can we create that scalability to allow us to be successful? And we need that scalability to be able to deal with multiple projects depending on the requirements from the business, as well as multiple incidents or multiple breaches or multiple, it doesn't really matter. We need to be ready for everything. 
and having that connectivity to the business and having that connectivity um, internally um, and to our peers and our partners um, allows us to be flexible to that extent. Um, it's just around hiring the right people, hiring the smartest people you can find, um, hiring people that will know how to tell me that I'm wrong because I know that I'm right. They need to tell me what do, what do I need to do differently. Thank you. And, and, and just a quick follow-up on this. Do you feel that, co that COVID had, you know, thrown a wrench into, the, into this, like in terms of how you build teams and able to sustain them, or did it improve the collaboration? I know, or I think my answer might not be the most popular one. COVID um, changed how we do business. It showed that we can manage large-scale projects, large environments. We can cope with, with challenges, we can do everything. The one thing that I would say is really hard is to find and create the team feeling. How do we, how do we get that glue together? How do we build those common um, experiences when we're not together? And there's nothing like having that one-on-one um, -on -one feeling, doing a whiteboard session together, for a couple of hours and and going through those challenges together and you know in some cases even grabbing a beer at the end of it um i think it's it's a combination of many things and and we're going through the process like many other companies trying to understand what's the right uh combination that we have to go through and what's the right mixture um i travel a lot to be with my team and to create that bond with them and for them to better know me. Um, and I think it's important to continue doing that and, and we will continue with that. Okay, great, thank you. And, you know, talking a bit more about the industry and obviously there are some global challenges uh, right now and, and in the past as well, and definitely in the future. Do you think collaborations between like entities in the same industry or in the same field will take place more? Will we see more of that? I, I hope so. Um, we, we started, and, and I touched on that um, early on, um, we started working with a semiconductor industry association and with a lot of support and help from them, um, they helped us create um, our cyber work group that, as I said, has over 40 members right now of uh, some of the largest uh, semiconductor companies. And, and being able to pick up the phone and call one of my peers and ask him, what do you think about this? We're even doing a market research of we're thinking about implementing a new policy. What do you think about that? Sharing information, they're going through the same challenges that I am. Uh, the second benefit that we're seeing to that um, is we understand better the changes that might affect us. If that would be a compliance change in a, um, in a different country that we don't know how that's going to impact us, um, or this would be a product change that we're trying to figure out what to do. Um, I think we're going to see more of that happening in the in the next years. I, I definitely am very committed to continue supporting the uh, SIA efforts and working with them and working with our peer CISOs, um, which I'm looking forward to see in a, in the next few weeks um, in our next uh, gathering. Uh, I think or I'm, I'm hoping we'll continue seeing more organizations and industries 
joining forces like that, it doesn't need to be under an umbrella of a vendor. Um, on the contrary, we're, we're keeping vendors out. Um, we want to keep this very, very personal, very intimate, and very relevant to only um, our industry and the challenges that we're facing. Got it. Understood. And what would you say, or uh, I'm sorry, let me rephrase, how would you consider compliance in the overall scheme of things and in building your security program and building your leadership team? Because I know you've mentioned, you know, risk management is a building block of, you know, determining what to do uh, first, what to do next, how much uh, resources to invest into, into uh, specific initiatives. But where does compliance fit in the overall picture? Um, compliance is critical. Honestly, um, it's critical for the success of the program. Um, having the processes, having the policies uh, is, is important, but um, more to that is validating what we're doing. We need to validate ourselves against frameworks, um, NIST, ISO, or whatever. Um, we need to make sure that we're making improvements. We need to make sure that we're spending money on the right processes and programs and we're making the right changes. We need to make sure that we're staring current to the industry and the risks, uh, the external internal risks that we're seeing out there. We need to make sure that we're uh, comparing ourselves both to our industry and peer companies and similar companies uh, to us, and we're spending the right resources there. Um, building the right uh, GRC team for me is, is very critical. Um, I think the second thing that I would say on top of that, um, we're seeing more regulations coming up. And I think that will continue in the next uh, next years. GDPR was the first one. We're, we're anxiously waiting for CMMC, but we're seeing also um, PIPL or, or the, uh, the new regulations in India coming up, the SEC with their proposals. Um, we will continue seeing a lot of those changes and we need to be able to react quickly and adapt to those regulations. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's going to continue being a challenge. Um, I don't think it's a bad challenge. It's just something that we need to deal with. Having a strong GRC team is critical for the success of the of the CSO at this point um, of, uh, of the career. Okay, thank you. And you know, just a quick follow up on this. In my discussion with a lot of us, much smaller organizations that need to have compliance as a way of a you know a foot at the door or checkbox marking exercise just to be able to do business in the U.S., uh, they a lot of time I, I hear that you know they're just after it for you know getting the certificate, getting the report, whatever that might be, or SOC two, ISO, PCI, whatever other compliance framework that they're working with, but they. A lot of those folks not necessarily think that, you know, this will do anything to improve their security posture. Do you think there is a correlation between compliance and security posture? I absolutely think that. Um, I think what, uh, it doesn't really matter which security framework, they're all very similar. There's um, a lot of uh, uh, similar points of interest between every one of the policies, the frameworks that you talked about, sorry. Um, and I think it really helps us gather our thoughts together, create um, a simple environment, a clean environment where we can uh, follow the best practices out there. there. There's a lot of differences between 
you know, you touched on PCI and SOX and ISO and, and SOC 2 or whatever. Um, but still, each one of those will provide us the framework for us to be better at what we do. It's really complicated. We need someone to help us make the right decisions and to say the right things and to do the right things. And I think those frameworks are, are there for, for a reason. Um, regardless of, you know, actually following the law in the case of GDPR and, and PCI, for example. Yeah. But other than that, it's pretty good. Okay. And, you know, looking uh, a bit more about uh, on the industry, uh, in your opinion, what are the trends? And I do realize that you you live in a certain certain of like a, a derivative of the industry, which which is more unique in in a sense. But what do you think are the trends that we'll see become more prominent in the following years? Like for example, I, I've seen I've been seeing in the last couple of years a lot of movement around compliance automation. I know there's, you know, a lot of other uh, initiatives out there for automation and, and whatnot, but um, what's your take? Um, what I expect to see, and that's something that I've been waiting for a long time, and we're starting to see some of it, is how do we bring compliance into our Zero Trust frameworks? Um, Zero Trust has to include compliance as part of its ongoing growth, and in order for it to survive, um, as a leading framework, it's not enough to do um, the ZTNA piece, the network piece. We need to make sure that we follow some procedures and processes. Uh, the second thing that I think will, will continue being a challenge is managing your supply chain, your third parties, fourth parties, fifth parties. How do you manage them? We, we learned and we are learning more and more how much we rely on, on our partners and our third parties and fourth parties in order to do our day-to-day -day business and what are the right things to, to do there? How do we manage them? How do we control them? How do we validate um, their posture, their security posture? And what are the right controls to require that um, our partners have? And I think that's something that we will continue seeing and expanding. Um, automating everything is something that I'm, I'm really expecting the security industry to do better. Um, we are behind. I think we, we keep talking about uh, cognitive computing, but we're not doing enough um, as an industry to push for that automation, moving from the simple reactive proactive to an adaptive environment and being able to uh, address issues even before they become issues is something that we need to move faster on as an industry. Um, and that's some of the things that we've been working with our partners to see how we can advance them. Okay, and going back to uh, you know discussions about uh, smaller organizations out there, and obviously, I and I know you mentioned uh, in a heartbeat the 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 shortage of um, professionals in the industry, and we we're seeing more and more uh, virtual CISOs offering out there, uh, specifically geared and aimed towards that you know section of the industry of small to medium businesses. And I'm I'm sure this is not something that you know you experience on a daily basis. But what are your thoughts about that? Like this specific trend in the industry? Um, I manage an organization of a few hundred uh, professionals. Um, I have consultants that I work with, uh, VCSOs uh, that help me make the right decisions. Um, I don't see anything wrong working with consultants. I think that's 
actually something smart that that needs to continue or should continue um it's it's again it's always the question of how do i find the right guy the right girl the right person to support what i need to do um how do i choose wisely so i don't get myself into more trouble and and get the wrong advices um i think that's a challenge and those consultants are you know, will take a big chunk of our budget, unfortunately. Um, but I know there's a lot of companies that can't afford the full board security team. Um, they don't have the the time. They don't have the money. It's not, you know, their current priority. So having someone externally that can give them the guidance to build the foundations that can help them later on when they get to that maturity level to hire a full board security team is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, the worst thing that people can do is go to Dr. Google and try to come up with, this is the first 10 things that you have to do when you want to build your security team. Don't do that. <laughs> That's probably not the best, the best idea. Yeah. And, uh, and I know you touched about that a bit, but would you like to expand on the main concerns that CISOs nowadays in general have? Um, I think we're, we're facing uh, an onslaught of, of things that are coming our way. Uh, the semiconductor industry um, has its own uh, uh, particular challenges to work with. Uh, but I think it's it's like everyone else. We're extremely concerned about, as I said, our supply chain. Um, how do we manage that? I think we're all licking the wounds from solar winds and trying to understand what's the best way to address something like that. Um, I think we, we're all still facing and learning more about insider threat and what's the right way to do that. Um, we always have the discussions about the difference between um, a nation state spy to, um, you know, someone taking a bunch of presentations. And unfortunately, even though it can cause a lot of harm uh, to the economy, we still don't see them at the same level of uh, severity. And I think that's something that um, we need to be more clear about with, uh, with our teams. Um, I think we're, we're seeing still a lot of attacks on the firewall, zero days, are always a concern, but we also need to remember our day ones. We're still seeing companies that are getting breached by old 2019, 2020, uh, zero days that we all thought were, were fixed or should have been fixed way back, keeping a, a clean environment, working on your uh, continuous vulnerability um, assessments is something that's really, really, really important in my view. We're going to continue seeing the usual email attacks and firewall attacks. That's not going to change, but we need to come up with smarter ways to do that. Um, there's, there's the last one that I would say that I think, uh, again, I know some of my LinkedIn contacts might not like it, but we, we, we should stop following every new technology out there and go and have another look on what we have, the, the stuff that we own. How can we better use it instead of just buying every shiny tool that promises, you know, to save us from whatever? Um, it just doesn't work. It's not sustainable over time. Mm -hmm. 
And you know, you touched on uh, the shortage, uh, the talent shortage in the industry. Uh, in your opinion, what can CISOs nowadays do in order to improve the, that situation? Um, we started working with uh, universities. We started working with uh, um, different universities in different countries. Um, we got to the point where we're starting to train um, students, university students, on cybersecurity, on, um, on products that we work with to make sure that we get that interest level. Um, we understood that we need to change our, our perspective on how do we get the team feeling, but also how do we provide our team members their career path? Um, what are the things that they need to focus on and learn? Um, we need to get more uh, younger people interested in cyber. Cyber is fascinating. Um, it's so interesting. There's so many things you can do in cyber. There is unlimited growth within cyber to hundreds of different um, uh, professions that you can learn. We need to help younger team members, as well as people that want to move over from IT, from engineering into cyber and to better understand the opportunities that they have in front of themselves. Um, part of the work that we do with NextGen is exactly that. Um, we, we go and pay uh, young kids, but also folks that are a little bit older, we pay them to go and get cyber training. If they pass the test, we pay for the course. We work with our partners. I just spoke with one of our partners, one of the largest um, uh, cyber uh, companies in the world uh, based in Israel. I think there's, uh, there's only a few, so people can imagine which one, um, about courses that they're building and them expanding those courses to other universities in other regions. And I will be actually visiting India uh, where I'm going to sit with uh, a university and see how we can help them be more focused on what they train people uh, around semiconductor industry and the security for semis, uh, OTs and IOTs and all of that good stuff. Um, and that's, that's the only way we can win this. Um, we're missing hundreds of thousands of uh, working hands in the U.S. right now. We need more help and we need to continuously push to train more people in the next years. Mm -hmm. And again, that organization that you mentioned, this is, uh, it's called NextGen, right? right? NextGen, that's right. Um, and any organization that wants to participate and maybe contribute to NextGen, uh, join us and support us. We would love to have you. Um, feel free to contact me and, and uh, we can take it from there. Okay. Yeah. And you'll have an opportunity to tell us what's the best way to contact you at the tail end of this episode. But before that, um, I just wanted to, to ask a, a few more questions here. So like, you know, we, we've discussed about the CISO role and I've discussed about it a lot with all of my interviewees, you know, in the last 50 episodes or so. Uh, and, and I keep asking that, that question. And, and I think I, there's obviously a trend, but in your opinion, what are the most important skills that CISOs nowadays should have? Mm. Um, you need to know how to listen. Um, that's the first thing. Just, you know, don't assume that you know the, the answer. Um, listen to the business, understand the business, 
um, CISOs, and that's where I'm, I'm fascinating about this industry. Um, we need to be able to hold a conversation with our legal team, uh, with the HR team and the engineering team on the same day. And it's just fascinating to me. And I enjoy that so much. Um, I, I think it helps um, if you have technical skills. I don't think it, it's the most important thing. The most important thing is to have a strong um, curiosity and understanding the challenges that we face, um, knowing how to take quick decisions and making those hard decisions sometimes is really important, but decisions need to be make, made. Um, building trust, you know, we, we, I talked about it, but you know, it's, it's, a whole, um, it's a whole process of how do you build trust on day one, on year one, on year five. How do you build trust with your leadership team, with your board, with your C-level team? Um, how do you build trust with your peers and with your customers and eventually with your team? Building the trust, having that connection to others is, is really important for the success of your program. Um, planning, I know we don't like it. No one likes it, I do, but having a three to five year plan, uh, forward-looking plan is important for the success of the program. It will change, it will constantly change. It doesn't change the fact that it's there and we need to have a plan, we need to have a roadmap. We need to be very clear on, on how we communicate that. And lastly, you, we need to have marketing skills because we're, at the end of the day, we're selling um, a concept where security, unfortunately, in some cases, is like selling insurance <laughs> and we, it, it's hard to sell insurance. Um, how do you make it more fun? How do you make it where people understand why we need it? There's, there's a saying that we have in Micron, obviously being a manufacturing company, security is as important as quality and safety. It's the same level. Quality, safety are the two main things that we have in a manufacturing company. Um, security is as important as that. Physical security, digital security, personal security, travel security, it's all the same. It doesn't really matter. Um, and what we are working really hard to do is getting our team members to understand that. Uh, employee awareness has grown and will continue growing. You need to have marketing skills. You need to be able to stand and talk about the risk and explain them in a non-technical way because people don't like the technical discussions. We need to make IT and security more um, easy for people to digest. I know we love technical concepts and acronyms. It doesn't work. And, you know, your answer is pretty much aligned with what I've been hearing about, you know, and, and we're seeing this transition for the past decade or a decade and a half even of the CISO role uh, transitioning from a technical based role to a business um, business based role. And but, you know, basically what you're saying is that uh, CISO should have business skills, uh, marketing skills, some technical know how, obviously, people skills, soft skills and all that. Is there a college out there that, you know, teach you how to become a CISO, <laughs> having all those are skills? Or are you suggesting that we open one? Uh, um, it might be a topic uh, for an offline discussion, yeah. Um, I, I don't know of a, of a school that teaches that. Um, I, I think most of my peers have been IT people for many, many years. 
and transitioned into security. That means that we're IT people, we're technical people. Um, I'm still waiting to see the newer generation starting to pop up and and maybe having a different skill set. We are seeing more and more business people moving into security, which I think is a good move to do. Um, I, I don't know of a specific program out there. I'm sure there are um, CISO programs out there. Um, I've I've not gone through one, unfortunately. Yeah. Maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> well. Uh, I would I would assume it's too late in the game right now. Uh, <laughs> how how's that saying goes? You can teach an old horse uh, new game um, new tricks. Although not to to imply that you're a, an old horse, but uh, <laughs> old. <laughs> well, you know, a couple uh, more questions before we can wrap this up. We're almost at the tail end of our episode, and we're almost out of time. But. Uh, what would you define then as innovation in, in our space? Wow, uh, there's, there's so much. There are so many things that we can do. Um, in my last visit uh, to my team in India, um, and I'm very proud of that. Unfortunately, I can't disclose too many details. We had two of our um, team members present to us a new concept, a new, a new tool that they invented. Um, and these guys basically came to the office and worked over weekends. I don't think it's a good thing, um, but that's what they did. Um, they worked over the weekends to invent a new tool that we're now implementing into our production environment and potentially will also implement that into our uh, other environments. When we talk about innovation, innovation is, is required, is necessary for the cyber industry to continue growing. Um, we are always chasing the risk instead of forecasting what the next risk would be. Um, we need to be more proactive on what we do. We need to think like hackers. We need to think outside of the box, take more risks. And I think we as a uh, security industry, as customers, in some cases have tied the hands of our partners, of our vendors, um, and basically stopped them from making some of the changes that are now really necessary. And when I talk to, to my partners and you can check with them and maybe some of them will comment to this podcast, I always tell them that they need to be more uh, stronger in their opinions, working with us and, and coming with newer ways that are potentially even risky. Um, as long as we can define the risk, we can uh, manage the risk uh, to allow us to be more proactive on how we secure companies. Doing more of the same doesn't work. Two-factor authentication is not gonna solve our password crisis. It's, it's just not, it's old, it's done, and we're still doing it because there isn't anything else. DLP, um, we're still doing the same thing for the last, what, 25 years? It hasn't changed. How do we change that? How do we move forward? Um, Proxy-based tools, CASB, um, and again, I'm not talking about specific vendors, no one should get upset of this. I'm just talking about the concept and coming back with new ideas, with new concepts. And again, I think I'm really hoping to see uh, new AI, new ML tools coming out and providing us more automation that will allow us to react faster and again, to be more proactive and adaptive to the, the, the new risks. Okay, thank you for that. 
Before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you one last question. What's the best way that our listeners, uh, you know, uh, potentially mentees or anyone that wants, uh, you know, anything to do with next gen or any, you know, even vendors, uh, God forbid, can connect with you uh, in a non-intrusive manner? You know, I knew this question would come and I feared it. This is the worst one. Um, I think the situation right now is probably the worst I've seen in many years. Um, during our discussion, our 45 minutes discussion, I got three calls, all of them from vendors. Um, it's, it's just numbers that I don't know or, or and I can see spam on my phone. Um, it's, it's getting pretty bad. It doesn't work. Don't call me. Um, cold calls never work. I don't have time. There are too many of you and one of me. Um, don't go to my team. I know that's what I said the first time. Don't do it. My previous team wanted to kill me for that. Don't do that. <laughs> um, we work with a lot of VCs. We, we work directly with other companies. We work with our peers. Um, if they really like something, they will let us know. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy because the market is, is just throwing us apart. We, we can't deal with the number of, um, of attempts, contact attempts that we're seeing. Um, send me a message on LinkedIn. If, if I can, I will reply. If not, sorry, <laughs> no, no disrespect to anyone, but there's so many, it's, it's just hard. I mean, if you come to think about it, there has been so much, uh, capital raised in the last, uh, let's just say five years, just for the sake of argument, so many hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, like raised in capital that are directly being spent on specifically that cold calling and cold approaches and email campaigns and all that. I mean, on one hand, it, you know, it, we're like the economy goes forward. There's many people with jobs out there. On the other hand, I mean, you're getting calls. I'm getting like, I don't answer my phone, to be honest. It's like every other call is like spam risk, spam risk from New York, Pennsylvania, whatever like all kinds of uh, random places. So yeah, I, I can relate with that. Um, any some any any notes before we we break this off? Um, no, I think it's it's great that you're continuing to doing this and, and I think it's important for the industry that you keep doing these. So I do want to thank you. I've I've I haven't listened to all 50. Um, <laughs> haven't listened to mine yet, so uh, I'll do that. Um, it's it's a pleasure talking to you and looking forward for our hundredth episode. I'm I'm making myself a regular here, just so you know. It's a done deal. Thank you so much, Hanan, and pleasure talking with you as always. I'll let you go. I know you have a hard stop. Uh, yeah. Thanks, and we'll connect uh, in the near future. See you later. Thank you. Bye bye.